morning. Good morning. Good morning. Good to see you. This morning we have the privilege of Peter S. Williams. We always include the S because we have two Peter Williams who oh. speak for us. This Peter S. Williams, I don't know, if, I don't think you probably know this, but we have him marked clearly as philosopher Peter Williams in our files. Um, but that doesn't mean he's only a philosopher. Um, but that is his training. Uh, Peter is based in England, but he works for NLA University, which is a Norwegian school. And a, a professor of communications and worldview. That's right. Yeah. yeah. So um, Peter is a prolific author, and I think you'll experience this morning very detailed and thoughtful communicator. And I just learned, I did not know this, he's an amateur composer. Oh. So if you like what he's composed in terms of content here, you can go and listen to a more artistic option. <laughs> so will you join me in welcoming Peter this morning? Thank you very much. Well, it's a, a pleasure to be here to serve you guys who are here to serve everybody else uh, during this conference. And I just want to say it's really appreciated. And uh, thank you for the invitation to come and, and uh, say a little something to you. And presented with that opportunity, I thought I would simply share with you some things that I have recently been uh, in my head and on my heart. Uh, I've had a, a long ongoing project as a philosopher thinking about spirituality in general and Christian spirituality in particular and more recently I've been involved in a project thinking about Christian leadership uh, as a concept and so I thought I'd say a few things uh, about those topics uh, to you that I uh, thought might be encouraging. So this is, uh, I've just titled it Leading and Following in the Footsteps of Christ. And let me start with a quote from Scooby-Doo. <laughs> in which uh, Shaggy is uh, saying to Fred here, you may be the leader of our gang, but that's only because we choose to follow you for some unfathomable reason. <laughs> uh, genuine Scooby-Doo quote uh, from Be Cool Scooby-Doo Series 1. <laughs> the, the serious point here, first off, is that leaders have followers. Uh, as Keith Grint in this little uh, Oxford series uh, book says, without followers, you cannot be a leader. Indeed, this might be the simplest definition of leadership, having followers. And secondly, followers have reasons for following leaders. This is why Shaggy's comment is a joke. People don't follow people without having a reason for following them. I think people look for leadership from people they assume will increase the likelihood of their getting something that they want, something they desire. Now, interestingly, the English word leadership comes from an old Norse word, lead which means to find the way at sea. You know, kind of leading the voyage on the way from Norway to England to plunder the English. <laughs> what well, wayfinding is an act of service to those who look to one to show or help them to find the way, whatever that might be in the circumstance. So it's not knowing or indeed showing 
others the way that actually makes one a leader. I mean, if no one follows your lead, you aren't leading. You're only trying <laughs> to lead. So it's the fact that people look to you to show or help them find the way that makes you a leader. Now, within Christianity, salvation is by faith, that is, by trust, by allegiance, not by works. But it is a salvation by a faith that produces discipleship. A quote here from Matthew 11:29: "Place my yoke on you and learn from me, because I am gentle and humble, and you will find rest for yourselves." As suggested by its earliest description as the way, have a look at Acts 11:26 and Acts 22:4. Christianity, and that was a term. Of a, sort of a term of abuse by non-Christians that followers of the way later adopted as their self-description. Uh, Christian literally kind of means you Christ slaves. Christianity is about a way of life, a spirituality, centered upon following Jesus Christ, Matthew eleven twenty nine, as the way the truth and the life, John 14, 6. Here's Paul from 1 Corinthians 4. Therefore I exhort you, be imitators of me. For this reason I have sent to you Timothy, who is my beloved and faithful child in the Lord, and he will remind you of my ways which are in Christ. My ways which are in Christ just as I teach everywhere in every church. Imitate me in following the way, the ways of Christ. So I think basically everybody has a spirituality, that is a way of life, aimed at least at virtuous, holistic formation of what a person is. That is, a, a spirituality is, is made up of you could say your old kind of worldview assumptions about reality, the ideas about reality one believes or acts on the basis of, combined with various attitudes and commitments, choices, and so on, that lead, jointly, lead to actions, to behaviours. So I describe a spirituality as trying to combine your assumptions, attitudes, and actions. Or another way of putting this with three points all beginning with the same letter, yes, I was raised a Baptist. <laughs> it's, uh, one can talk about this in terms of trying to virtuously bring together our head, heart, and hands. So here's uh, Acts 2, 37. Peter has just uh, preached at Pentecost to the crowds. And uh, Luke says, when the people heard this, as the truth claims about Jesus and his resurrection, they were cut to the heart 
Their attitude was one of positive response to what Peter had said. And said to Peter and the other apostles, Brothers, what shall we do? Head, heart, hands. They acted in response. This spiritual structure of humanity is is generic. But the spiritual content differs from one spirituality to another. And there can be more or less degrees of overlap between spiritualities. So someone might have a Buddhist content spirituality, or a Marxist content spirituality, or a Christian content spirituality, right? So I think we can say that Christianity is about God's call to enter into a Christ-centered spirituality that virtuously influences and integrates our assumptions, attitudes and actions through faithfulness to Jesus. Uh, In his book on uh, leadership, secular author Peter Northhouse says, without influence, leadership does not exist. Leadership is about one individual influencing one or more others. And Northhouse basically defines leadership as the follower-dependent capacity to influence someone's, well, their spirituality, really. He says power is the capacity or potential to influence. People have power when they have the ability to affect others' beliefs, attitudes, and courses of actions, head, heart, hands. You see this structure cropping up across the literature about leadership uh, or about education or uh, about cognitive behavioural psychology uh, or about spirituality because this is how people are built. Think about the influential power of Jesus. Here's a famous passage from John 13. Then he poured water into the basin and began to wash the disciples' feet, doing a servant's job, a slave's job, and to wipe them with the towel that was wrapped around him. So when he had washed their feet, put his outer garment back on and sat down again, he said to them, Do you know what I've done to you? You call me teacher and Lord, You say so correctly, for so I am. If I, then, the Lord and the teacher, have washed your feet, you also ought to wash one another's feet. For I have given you an example that you also should do as I have done to you. Aristotle, in the first uh, textbook about rhetoric, described and defined rhetoric as the power to observe the persuasiveness, what is persuasive, of which any particular matter admits. So to observe what is persuasive about coming to the European Leadership Forum, and to be able to help other people to notice 
that thing that is persuasive about it. So it's not like the way we use, or like, oh, it was just political rhetoric in our culture. We've, we've kind of thinned out the meaning of the word rhetoric. For Aristotle, um, you could make uh, a distinction between good and bad rhetoric. And rhetoric's meant to be good. It's helping people to see what is intrinsically persuasive about something. And rhetoric encompasses the principles of how to help people make those same observations of persuasiveness which you have made. In a famous passage, he says this, Aristotle says this about rhetoric. Of the modes of persuasion furnished by the spoken word, there are three kinds. The first kind, in Greek called ethos, think of the way we would talk about the, the ethos of a company. Ethos depends on the personal character of the speaker. He's actually talking here about goodness expressed in action. The second, pathos, on putting the audience into a certain frame of mind. Uh, pathos, that which moves the desire. Think of Tchaikovsky's pathetic symphony. No, not Tchaikovsky's pathetic <laughs> symphony. It's a really good symphony that moves you. <laughs> uh, this is talking about beauty, in other words, uh, meriting a certain attitude of praise. And the third aspect here is logos, uh, a word that, uh, if you know the Greek behind the beginning of John's Gospel, in the beginning was the logos. Uh, the third, logos, on the proof provided by the words of the speech itself, talking about the, the truth or the rationality of arguments, talking about uh, the head, the assumptions aspect here. So we get these head, heart, hands aligned with these concepts of how we communicate these things and the concepts of how we judge them, how we assess them by the standards of truth and goodness and beauty. British philosopher, Christian philosopher John Cottingham says that truth, beauty and goodness carry with them the sense of a requirement or a demand. The true is that which is worthy of belief. The beautiful is that which is worthy of admiration. And the good is that which is worthy of choice. So you end up with a nice little three by three grid of these concepts of spirituality, rhetoric, and the values. Uh, communicating the aspects of spirituality and assessing those aspects of spirituality. And you find this kind of thinking throughout the Bible. Here's Paul from Colossians 4. When you're with the unbelievers, always make good use of the time. Be pleasant, ethos, and hold their interest when you speak the message. Hold their interest, pathos. Choose your words carefully and be ready to give answers to anyone who asks you questions. Logos. Philippians 4.8. Finally, brothers and sisters, whatever is, and the word here means ethically true, Ethically true, whatever is 
noble, whatever is right, whatever is pure, whatever is lovely, whatever is admirable. If anything is excellent or praiseworthy, think about such things. Paul was no postmodern relativist. <laughs> so, in sum, Christian leadership is rooted in the spiritual spirituality of discipleship to the truth, goodness, and beauty of Christ. Christians should seek to be influenced by leaders who will help them to flourish as disciples of Christ and his truth, goodness and beauty. And leadership is one way to serve others. It's a subcategory of being a servant. So let me encourage you this week at ELF to see discipleship to Jesus as a way of life that pulls together your head and your heart and your hands. To root your service here at ELF, including any leadership roles that you might be fulfilling, in your head, heart and hands discipleship to Jesus. And to approach this conference as an opportunity as you listen into those sessions that you're being a room monitor for or videoing or recording the sound for or whatever, an opportunity to pursue the truth and goodness and beauty of Jesus in your life. Uh, let me invite you, as I start surreptitiously packing up, uh, to turn to the folks around you and to, to use those concepts as a basis for just praying for each other for a few minutes uh, until uh, your servant-hearted leaders uh, call you to another topic. God bless you. Thank you very much. Thank you.